0: She was Indian American and so neither of us would touch our home brought lunches and then we were like, what's the next best thing we can do? We would split a cheeseburger between the two of us. I would eat the meat and the cheese and she would eat the bun, lettuce and pickles and we would just like put ketchup on everything instead of having the lunch that our parents would pack so that we could have something that was quote unquote more normal. You know, it feels more and more that people are pulling further and further apart from each other. And maybe it's some perspective being the daughter of immigrants who chose to come to this country. But there still fundamentally remains something really special about what this country offers that's worth remembering and worth fighting for. I'm Sharon Yang and I'm a modern minority.
2: But we're no one's model minority.
1: This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to my doppelganger, Sharon Yang. Sharon is the communications director at Building Back Together, a nonprofit advocacy group supporting the president's policy agenda. Sharon grew up just outside of Houston, Texas, and is the daughter of Chinese immigrants. She's passionate about winning elections and removing barriers to opportunity. She also finds way to find joy in the everyday. She loves cooking and eating good food. Sharon and I had a great conversation one-on-one because Roman was off doing something probably equally as amazing. But I really enjoyed talking to someone with my name, which is amazing, but also someone who truly is making a difference for Immigrant communities, I think more than, more than some other, some other groups. And she, as someone who grew up with immigrant parents and someone who started her political career during the second wave of the Obama administration, Sharon brings to her work a true sense of what diverse communities need today as well as a true passion for making a difference. So I really enjoyed connecting with Sharon. I really loved our conversation and I hope that you also enjoy our chat with our new friend, Sharon Yang. Hi, Sharon, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Fun to be on with another Sharon.
1: It is, it is so fun. So Remen has interviewed someone with the same exact name as him. We interviewed another Reman Segal and I haven't found another Sharon Lee Tony, but you are the closest and probably the next best thing. <laughs> That's funny. So it's such a pleasure to be talking to you. And I'm sure you, you know, people know who you are and you're infamous in many ways. But Sharon, where are you from?
0: Uh, well, first of all, I want to say um, real pleasure um, to be here with you today. Um, really looking forward to this. I am mostly from um, just south of Houston, Texas. Uh, We moved there when I was around six or seven, and that's where I spent most of my childhoods. And when people ask, where am I from? um, That's what I say. But my family moved around a lot before then and originally was born in Canada. um, So I'm technically Canadian. So, you know, there are complicating factors, but usually the, the one word or two word answer, I say, is, you know, Houston, Texas.
1: And do you often get a follow-up question where people are like, well, Sharon, where are you really from?
0: Uh, you know, I think this happened less and less to me as I think folks mm-hmm. have gotten a little bit more culturally aware. Um, and But, you know, certainly have gotten that question before. I don't think anyone is a stranger yeah. to it. My My parents are from China originally, so Uh, They immigrated in the early 90s and I was born in Canada because they were going to school there before they moved to the U.S. for work. Got it. And was work where Houston was or was Houston just where they
1: landed? No, actually, you said you moved to Houston when you were six. So you guys were were elsewhere before Houston.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, so my dad is a chemist. Um, mm-hmm. He has worked for Chevron um, for most of his life. And so we really moved with Chevron um, from state to state. And so wow. we were you know, in California for a little bit and then Chevron relocated and so we ended up in Houston for for most of my childhood after that. Got it. What was it like growing up in Houston? You know, it's interesting. I so I grew up in a suburb of Houston. It's called Parallel, Texas. Uh-huh. It's so funny because when my my mom tells me that she was really scared about moving to Houston because she had heard all these stereotypes about Texas and cowboys. And yeah. she was, she was afraid. She, she, she told us that she was afraid that we would get Texas accents and that's funny. Uh, it was, it was a big fear for her. But apparently in Texas, you know, I think sometimes people don't know this about um, Houston, but Houston's one of the most diverse cities in the country. And so mm-hmm. I actually grew up in like a pretty diverse um, suburb. There are a lot of other kids who looked like me. There are black kids. Latino kids, um, was real melting pot, um, which I think uh-huh. I didn't appreciate so much when I was a kid, but I certainly appreciate when I go back, especially when I'm looking for good food to eat in the Houston area. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, there was also like, I lived in sort of a cookie cutter suburb with a Target and a Barnes and Noble and mm-hmm. the Starbucks. And I I think when I was younger, I had a little bit of a, I couldn't wait to get out sort of attitude, but- sure you know, my parents really love living in living in Texas these days. And uh, it's always a pleasure to go back to see them and have barbecue and, you know, Viet Cajun crawfish boils and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. The food in, in Houston really is amazing. I mean, I think the first time I went to the boiling crab was when I was in Houston and it changed my life. Like I love a good crab boil and like It is, it just, it's incredible. The food is just so yummy there. And it is really diverse. I was actually very surprised when I first I grew up in New York City. So Mm -hmm. very used to diversity. But in my mind, because Houston is in Texas, I assumed that it was more of a monolith. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. It's there's a lot of there's just there's so many people there. I guess that's part of it, right? But many different cultures. So were there ever times when you felt out of place there, or did you always kind of feel like you had a space because you were around so many different cultures and different people?
0: Yeah. I mean, even with the level of diversity, I think, you know, you still, or I still at a young age, you know, sort of started to get an inkling that there were, you know, differences. I mean, I think a lot of people of color, uh, especially folks from immigrant backgrounds, have the shared experience of showing up to school for lunch and your parents have packed, you know, fried rice or uh, dumplings or whatever. and. You know, you turn to your friend, and they get the ham sandwich with the rice krispie treat, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. and I was just like, "What is going on?" <laughs> and there was there was actually a really long time where. In like middle school, I think, where one of my best friends was vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And what we would do is that we would split a cheeseburger between the two of us. I would eat the meat and the cheese patty, and she would eat the bun, lettuce, and pickles. And we would just like put ketchup on everything. And like that was our lunch instead of, you know, what our parents, she was Indian American. And um, we would do that instead of having the lunch that our parents would pack so that we could sort of, you know, have something that was quote unquote more normal. Yeah. But, you know, I remember being like really young. It would have been like fourth, fifth grade when that was happening.
1: Wow. Did mom ever, mom or dad ever figure that out? Like you going home with a full bento box of fried rice that was not touched?
0: I, you know, I've never actually asked them about this and I feel really bad about it in retrospect, but, you know, I would... I, I would like toss food. I would, and I would do this in a very strategic way where I would like leave like two bites. So it looked <laughs> a couple of bites. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. Like, it didn't look like, uh, I just like dumped it all out. And, um, I, you know, yeah. I don't know how clever a seven year old is, but, um, I thought I was being a genius at the time.
1: That's interesting. We hear a lot about that. Like food is such a big part of culture. Right. And, uh, a lot of our guests have told very similar stories of being in the cafeteria and having that being kind of like the playing field of, of when a lot of that comes out. And so sharing a burger, a cheeseburger with a friend is uh, so interesting, especially because you mentioned she was Indian American. And so my my guess is that maybe she didn't eat beef and that's why you were having the patty. Yeah.
0: yeah and she was exactly. eating the bread. Yeah. And, yeah. and so neither of so, us would touch our home brought lunches. And then we were like, what's the next best thing we can do? And it was like, everyone else has like cheeseburgers or sandwiches yeah, and we'll split a cheeseburger. Wow. What did you
1: want to be when you grew up?
0: Um, that's a great question. I think it varied a lot. I had a lot of different phases. Okay. I had an astronaut phase. I had a I had a a brain surgeon phase. I had a, I want to be president of the United States, but I know I'm Canadian. So (laughs) I'm constitutionally unable to um, phase. Right. But I think as I was getting older, especially towards high school uh, and then certainly later on in college, that's, that's around the time when I started getting really interested in politics as like a potential avenue of work. Mm -hmm. I started volunteering for the Obama campaign um, when I was like 15 or 16. It would have been his reelection, so the 2012 race. Mm -hmm. And I remember not being old enough to drive yet. I didn't have my license. And so I made my mom uh, drive me around to phone banks and door knocking, like dancing events um, around Houston. And, you know, my my parents are from, from China and they didn't grow up in a in a society where elections are a thing sure. and you like engage yeah. in politics. And so it was all very yeah. unfamiliar to them. And so my mom was like, okay, like if this is something you're interested in, maybe it'll go on your resume. So like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> it'll help you get into college, uh, yeah, right? Exactly. So they'll all support it. And so I think it was like around then when I started thinking more seriously about doing what I do now. But you know, in, in high school, I had just all kinds of interest. I think there was a time when I still wanted to get into economic regulation. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I studied economics in college was because I I was like, you know, maybe I'll be the kind of person who like works in bank regulation and fixes the economy that way. But I, I think I started catching the campaign bug when I was a teenager. And I think it's been a bit of a wild ride since, but yeah. around then when it started. Was there a specific
1: event that inspired that?
0: I'm not sure. I uh, I wish I had like a great origin story inspiring yeah. <laughs> event. I, you know, I think it would tell better on a podcast, but I think it was more slow, like awakening of mm-hmm. politics being a way in which you can affect change that impacts a lot of people. I think yeah. like one, a lot of it is rooted in my family's background, I think. We've certainly lived a very stereotypical version of the American dream, you know, coming over as immigrants with, you know, really not a lot, um, and like building a life here in the in the U.S. That certainly would not have been possible in in China, and sort of like seeing how that opportunity has made an incredible difference in my family's life. But um, I think coming to the realization that that is for many reasons not the case for everyone in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it was helpful that I sort of came of age during the Obama era and having the president be such an inspirational figure. Yeah. But I think I really just like got into it um, because I was like a 15-year-old calling voters, talking to them at their door about what they cared about. And I think it was a really remarkable experience. To speak to people I would have literally no other reason to encounter in my life. And people are, are like surprisingly open. Right. Talking about, you know, childcare or their health insurance or just, you know, being laid off and what they hope to see in their representatives. And I think that's something that's really yep. stuck with me and I think continues to sort of shape how I think about this work and what motivates me even now.
1: Right. That's so wonderful. And, and as your mom was driving you around and realizing that this was becoming your passion and that <laughs> her neurosurgeon daughter might never be a reality, what was their reaction to this? Because it's such a, like you said, I think I'm also from, my, uh, my family's also from China and politics isn't a big part of anything that was part of their background because there just wasn't a democracy, right? So the idea of voting for things, the idea of having a say in government is very American. How did they respond to that as, as a livelihood?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think early on, they really just saw it as an interest rather than a, than a mm-hmm. career path. And my parents were actually, I think, on the spectrum of, quote unquote, tiger moms, tiger parents, course, were, yeah. uh, <laughs> Mine too. were relatively yep. more lenient. And so I really appreciate my parents for sort of taking it in stride, even though they weren't really familiar with like how any of this works. Uh, my mom, yeah, for example, was like, okay, my kid is interested in politics. Like, what are the activities around here that we could like take her to? And she she took me to a young Republican women's event in Pearland. And like, I showed up there and everyone was in like elbow length white gloves and it was like a tea reception. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right, me and right. my Asian mom and everyone else in their like coiffed hair. And I <laughs> like looked at my mom and I was like, this is not what I meant. <laughs> yeah. But I, I They were... you know, I think, like, early on, really supportive of just, like, encouraging interest in it in general. And I think I've certainly had, like, struggles with them later on as I started to actually, you know, pursue a career um, in this space and, you know, having to work with them to, like, explain that, like, yes, this is a real job just because, like, I move around a lot and, like, switch jobs all the time and am occasionally unemployed between campaigns, like doesn't mean that this is like a fundamentally unstable sort of career to pursue. And I also think that, you know, I think with especially immigrant parents, there's a lot of focus on credentialism. And that certainly drove like a lot of their attention when I was still in high school, you know, the focus on getting into a good school and graduating with a good degree. But certainly, like, even now, um, a few years out of college, like, there's a lot of focus on, like, okay, like, even working for a couple years, like, have you thought about law school, like, business school, like, what's the next sort of Mm -hmm. credential you can, like, add to your resume to make sure you are seen as a, you know, serious person or serious job candidate and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of time on the phone sort of spent Trying to be patient and explain things and help them understand like why I care about this work and why it means a lot to mm-hmm. me and also why it's not an absolute disaster financial <laughs> stability wise <laughs> like I actually make fine money and I can like support myself and that's like, I think an ongoing process, but yeah, they, they wouldn't be them if they had wholeheartedly like one hundred percent jumped on board either I also. That's, that's not who they are as people and like not their cultural background. And I appreciate sort of, you know, sometimes it's frustrating, but I appreciate having them to push me and be thoughtful. And that's, yeah. I think, a little bit of maturity I've gotten as I've gotten older.
1: That's what parents are for too, right? It's like, they're there to to remind you of all the things you're not doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. To like manifest the life that they want for you, yeah. so. And I mean,
0: I had a panicked period where I was like, "Why not law school? Like, I'm I could take the LSAT, right. like, no problem. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just logic and reading, right? Like, it seems right. fine, right?" So, you know, it's a balance.
1: Have you had Have you had aspirations of running for office in any way?
0: Uh, no, not seriously. I I'm yeah. incomplete. I've worked closely with a number of candidates, um, now, mm-hmm. but and they are all just incredibly remarkable people and I'm really proud to have worked for them. But it is like another tier of drive and commitment and like immersion in this work that I'm not sure that I have like the deep well of and I completely respect it. But I think, I think it's, I don't think it's quite for me.
1: Yeah. Not everyone can be a politician. I mean, it's a it's a completely. You need a different type of DNA. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. To be that that person. Yeah. Especially when it comes to taking the punches, right? Like when things are great, things are great. But when there's any kind of debate or dissonance or even like personal attacks, it, it's hard to. I think it's really hard to maintain that front as a politician. So totally, I hear that. Tell us a little bit about your work now at Building Back Together. What do you? What's the mission of the organization? Tell us about the impact that you're hoping to make there.
0: Yeah, so Building Back Together um, is a nonprofit advocacy group um, that supports the policy priorities of the Biden-Harris administration. I'm really lucky to serve as the communications director here. Um, so we do a lot of work communicating to the American people about what the president. Um, has accomplished, what the president continues to fight for, um, and just making sure that people across the country are hearing about that work. This has been my first non-campaign job, which has been really interesting, but I think mm-hmm. continues sort of the the work that I've really cared about, about advancing opportunity for people everywhere. And I think that's a core mission of this administration. And um, it's been a real honor to work Closely with uh, the White House, with other sort of allies, people in states across the country um, to make sure we're advancing the, the legislative agenda and the other sort of priorities um, that this White House is pushing, I think. It's been really interesting to see, you know, I've done so much work trying to get people into office and and now sort of mm-hmm. supporting that work for someone who is currently in office um, has been really rewarding. And it's been just a privilege to be able to, you know, talk about the the wins that the administration has delivered, whether it's driving this economic recovery or passing Enormously consequential legislation like the American Rescue Plan or the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is you know already at work modernizing the country, uh, fixing our supply chains and bringing them back to the U.S., creating good-paying jobs, you know, right here in America. And you know, I think like it's a very tough media landscape right now um, in terms of Mm -hmm. getting a message out. And every week, every day, it's like a different news cycle and. Breaking through that and driving a consistent message that sort of connects with uh, the people who are impacted by these policies is, I think, really critical to what the administration is trying to accomplish. But like, progress begets progress. And I think the better job we do about communicating what the administration has already done Mm -hmm. sort of lays the ground for getting even more done. And so it's something that I care about deeply and really lucky to be here working alongside some really fantastic folks. Um and it's been a great ride so far.
1: That's great. And you've been you've been with the organization for how long?
0: I have been here since who, last fall. So I'm I'm okay. coming up on my one year anniversary soonish, actually. Yeah. 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 So my parents are like, you're staying there? You're not your your job doesn't end. Here we go. Uh, like yes, for once this job has does not end uh, in November. So that's great. So I
1: mean it's it's been almost a year, but I I think you know obviously the the work of the, the the work of the administration has has made such a big impact in such a short period of time. I do think that there's there's a lot of great things that are that the administration is doing. I'm a full I love Kamala. I mean, I love Biden too, but you know, the fact that we have a female VP is beyond to me. You know, like yeah. I've got she's on the cover of is it Vogue? What's me? Yeah, <laughs> I have a I have the issue of Vogue where she's on the cover mm-hmm. and I keep it in my office just so like it's a reminder, you know, that she's she's real, she's here, they're doing such amazing things. And I'm just wondering from a personal perspective, which of their which of their policies or or what type of impact have you seen that you are most passionate about?
0: Um, Well, first I wanted to say, echo you about um, the vice president. I I worked for her primary campaign. So I was out in Iowa for her. And so it's been a real privilege to see her take such a Important part of this administration, and she's um, she's a badass. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, she's amazing.
0: Yeah, totally with you there, and I know exactly which book cover you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like I think, like I said, this this administration has accomplished a whole lot. But mm-hmm. I think, like you know, I mentioned earlier, like I was really briefly considered a career in like economic regulation, and. That was because like a lot of what motivated me to get into sort of this work early on was coming out of sort of the Great Recession and seeing how financial instability can really destroy, can really like take the rug out of, you know, under from underneath a family. And so I've always cared about issues of economic opportunity um, the most and... Mm-hmm. You know, I think something that was really hard in the aftermath of the of the Great Recession was just how slow and how much of a slog that economic recovery was. And for years and years and years, we just we weren't recovering um, the jobs that were lost. And I think it really hurt people for just incredibly long time. And. Um, something that I have really appreciated from this administration and I've been really impressed by is just their relentless focus on uh, making sure that we are driving a strong recovery from everything that the pandemic, you know, wreaked havoc upon. And there's still more work to do, um, you know, don't want to tiptoe around the issue of inflation and making sure that we're continuing to focus on bringing down, you know, costs that are a real burden for families. but. It's like not by mistake that we've recovered, I think it's over 8.3 million jobs at this point since the president took office, getting the unemployment rate down, I think, nearly in half in the past year or so, you know, getting support to small businesses in an equitable way as well, I think has been really critical. And I think just like these like basic economic foundational things um, of getting our economy back on track, I think touches every family. and in comparison, like this, this administration um, has done a really great job uh, sort of keeping their eye on the ball and and making sure we are driving a, a healthy economy that um, works for all working middle-class families.
1: Yeah. I echo that. I think, you know, I feel, I feel really seen and heard as someone who's part of the Asian American community by this administration. I, I feel like And I don't know if it's just because I'm part of that demographic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm a marketer. So I get Mm -hmm. it, right? Like the algorithm is going to serve me certain messages. Like my Apple news is going to serve me certain messages. But I do feel like there's been, there's just been dedicated efforts to help immigrant communities, Mm -hmm. communities of color in the face of all, especially all the Asian hate things that have been happening. I really feel like the administrative, the administration has, has done so much to, to support that and to be very vocal about it and to, put resources towards support where we we really need it, where, I mean, we don't have to mention he who shall not be named, but <laughs> the last eight years prior to this weren't like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just been really interesting. So yeah, it's been great. And I mean, as you go forward, right? So there's another, hopefully you're in this role, especially to your parents, um, <laughs> Joy, for for at least another, at least another, like this term for sure, and then hopefully another term. Like, what do you foresee? Like, what are some of your hopes and dreams for the next couple of years for this country?
0: Wow, that that is a big question. That is a big question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I think one, not to repeat myself, but I think there is still more work to do um, in terms of in the the short, medium and long term to create opportunity of all kinds um, for people across the country making sure we're not leaving anyone behind. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, so there's like definitely this sort of economic piece. I think like another just like bigger picture piece is, you know, and and I think the president has really spoken powerfully to this, but like restoring a sense of unity and solidarity as a country, I think it's been difficult um, to see the division in our country. I almost feel like it's getting worse and worse and certain extreme factions getting so much traction. And, yeah, you know, it feels more and more that people are pulling further and further apart from each other. And I think maybe it's some perspective being the daughter of immigrants who chose to come to this country, but there still like fundamentally remains... Um, something really special about America and what um this country offers um that's like worth remembering and worth fighting for. And I'd hope that, in like a big picture sense, that we were, were able to um see each other more kindly and with more grace and, I think, less less division um, than than sort of what we've been seeing. Uh, certainly recently, and I think just like some of those basic like that basic fabric of being a part of a larger community um, is really important, and I don't have the solutions, but uh, mm-hmm. you know it's certainly something that I you know think about abstractly uh, sometimes and you know hope to hope to be you know trying to make progress towards
1: yeah, I agree. I feel like it it's interesting that you frame it that way, like our our ancestors, whether it's our parents or grandparents or great grandparents came to this country because of the values and the ideals of bringing together people from all backgrounds, right? That was, that was certainly, I know something that my grandparents had thought about when they came here, that this was a land of opportunity and that Mm -hmm. anyone could come and make a living for themselves and be successful. And Inherently in that was a feeling that, or the expectation that everybody would be accepted, and and I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. In that the last, certainly the last two years, have been really hard, and I think it's just been, it's wild. You know, it is wild how in today's age where we are all connected more than ever before globally. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got the internet. We know exactly what's happening in other countries. We can live stream what's happening on the ground. Like there are ways that we can see the truth today that I think previously we were relying on third parties to tell us the truth. So whether it was journalists or Mm -hmm. news organizations or anything else, and yet even with all of that help typically facilitate connection in our own country, it seems to have completely broken us apart and created so much separatism and some people blame the former president for that you know maybe i don't know but i but it's just this it is wild to me that it, it seems like here i am getting political but it does seem like when obama was in office we were united so much more you know and and it's wild to me that after just one person leading the administration that that could have had the impact that it did it just it makes me i don't know it just makes me question a lot about influence about messaging, about even like basic human intelligence sometimes. I'm kind of like, you know, how is it that either people have always felt this way and it was just more subdued before because it wasn't as accepted or there wasn't an outlet for it or they didn't see other people doing it. But it certainly seems like today we've reached a breaking point where it's just beyond levels of accept, of, of what is even acceptable, you know? And it's just it's just nuts. I don't know. I don't have the answers for it either. Yeah. But... They're hard questions. Yeah. It's really, it's really tough. And I do, what does make me opt- feel optimistic is I do feel like with this, I keep calling them a new administration. They're not so new anymore, but I think with the Biden-Harris administration, they came in and they address that straightforwardly. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they came in with the intention of we're bringing this, we're bringing this country back together. I mean, even the name of your organization, right? It's, build back together. Like right. they came in with the intention of we are, we're we're reinstilling the values that this country was built on and we're here to, to really make a change. So I am very proud of you, Sharon Yang. I'm not your mom, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> You're
1: doing, I mean, you guys are doing really great work and it's really critical work. And I think we're, we're in a dark place now, but I do think that in the next couple of years, I'm hopeful that that things are things are turning around definitely like you know, like you said, the policies are are affecting the economy that you're creating more jobs, like all of that is happening. but I, I do also think that in a couple of years, I'm hoping that we'll just find a lot more love and acceptance within our communities too. I'm really hoping that some of these other policies can help to reduce the violence and reduce the just a lot of the other stuff that's happening out there today
0: yeah yeah no. I mean, I think it's important to be sort of clear eyed and realistic about the scope of the challenges, but I think you know um cynicism is the easy way out, and I think it's really important that people um feel uh, motivated to stay in the fight because you know that's how that's how change is made, and yeah, yeah, so continue to be a part of it
1: so as someone who's female and a woman of color, do you ever feel? like you need to conform in any way in this world of politics similar to the cafeteria times like are you ever met with I don't know any kind of like dissonance in any way or or do you ever feel like you have to be someone who you aren't
0: it's less about a feeling uh of needing to conform than Uh it is about feeling like you need to excel Uh uh-huh and you know, I think democratic politics is like a relatively diverse place to work. Um, That's true. But, you know, it's it's still relatively rare where there are more than, you know, there's another Asian person and certainly like mm-hmm. another Asian woman in the room um, where like decisions are being made. And honestly, I think like this is a feeling I've felt most of my life. But, you know, I think there is a certain pressure to feel like whatever you're going to say or whatever you're going to suggest is really well thought out, really well reasoned, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I think in a big picture basis, just, you know, trying to show other people that, you know, you didn't get here on accident. Right. And that, you know, you're a proven and experienced person, I think is like something that I've always sort of felt and carried with me. And I think it's it's like a different kind of pressure than feeling like I need to be like others. It's almost like, you know, you have to stand out by being being better um, than than like what is expected of you. Um, and so yeah. I think that's something that I, I consider in my sort of working life. Yeah. How does
1: that come out? Like, how do you cue those things?
0: Um, you know, I mean, it's like as simple as, uh, you know, we're editing a press release and I have thoughts about how we should phrase something and you know, what best connects with people or what's most understandable. And there's a reason why I'm really obsessive about internalizing messaging guidance and research and polling that informs sort of the language we use when communicating to the American people. Because I want to know like when I'm making recommendations about how to communicate um, or how to say something to for other folks in the organization, like that's like the right thing or, you know, the best thing um, to suggest. And whenever I'm like raising my hand in a meeting to make a suggestion, um, I'm (sighs) always taking that extra second to run it back with myself and make sure that I've thought through every sort of aspect of of the argument and thought of everyone's possible rebuttals and Thought of a rebuttal to that rebuttal, and uh, <laughs> and I, that's a mindset that I I bring to work, yeah. day in day out. Is it something that you proudly bring,
1: or is it? Does it ever feel like a burden, like to have to go through that mental journey of of just you know double checking, triple checking before that recommendation comes out?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I I feel like it's a really it's a good thing. Um, I like feeling that I've, I've arrived at a conclusion after, after like deliberation and thought yeah. and being like considered. like being right. Yeah. Um, but then there are also yeah. like plenty of moments where, where, you know, that, that moment of hesitation or like mm-hmm. pausing to run it back, um, you know, someone else says something similar and I'm like, and you know, everyone is like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's like exactly what I would have said off the bat. But you know, like I, wanted to like check myself first. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, it's a balance and, you know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it makes me feel like I missed out on that, on that moment of like being the first one out there with the good idea. Right. But, you know, it's just, I think, sort of like a part of how, how I approach work. Yeah. It's very
1: deliberate and very uh, mindful and intentional, which I think is a good thing. So if we were to turn back the clock and to go back to fourth or fifth grade, uh, yeah. and we were to Zoom you back to you and your best friend at the time sharing that cheeseburger that your mom didn't know about, what advice would you give to your past self?
0: I would have told myself to to not stress so much in high school about getting into college. <laughs> uh, Good advice, yeah. It really is not the be all end all. Um, and then I would have told my college self to not stress so much about school um, and to have, have a little bit more fun. You know, especially when I was younger, I was so focused on like, well, what felt like long term goals to myself at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think I've come to like, center myself more in the sort of like day-to-day things that like make me happy and like bring me joy and like whether that's like taking a walk after work and getting an ice cream sandwich or taking 10 minutes to read my kindle at the end of the day um, or whatever it is like I think like I spent a lot of time with an eye towards what school I was getting into or what organizations I was leading on campus and extracurriculars I was doing in college and all that kind of stuff where I think like I like just blew past um, some of those moments. And I think it's like really enriched my life to have a little bit more of a balanced perspective. Um, And I hope um, my younger self would like think that was thoughtful and not just annoying. (laughs) So well, you're
1: basically telling her to have a little more fun. Yeah. And just, to like, just like relax. L- like, yeah, you know, lit yeah. up a little like, bit. don't be so. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be okay. a little crazy because you're going to be okay. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, Sharon, this has been such an exciting conversation. And I love, I love the fact that I get to talk to another Sharon, of course, which, you know, I'm- I-, I just can't get over that. I love it. But I think we're ready for speed round. Are you ready for speed round?
0: Uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready, but here we
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one's ever ready, so that's that that's the perfect answer, okay, so here we go. What is one thing about you that no one expects?
0: Oh God uh, <laughs> um, that i uh that I really like art, like I like watercolor and like ceramics and like that kind of stuff even I'm not very good at it but oh you like cream? yeah cool yeah.
1: yeah so do you do it like a color me mine or like one of those like sip in sip and paint type of things oh just
0: like really privately like I have like a bad yeah. thing where I I don't enjoy being bad at things and so when I'm bad at things like art I have to do that in the privacy of my own home you're so <laughs> funny <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is why no one expects expects it right. of me.
1: So it's it's a secret yeah. artist.
0: Yeah. It's a secretly bad hobby. You you're
1: you're a secret artist. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I think you'll like this next one cuz I I hear you are trying to challenge yourself to read more books this year. So what is a book or a movie or a television show with characters that you relate to?
0: Ooh, characters that I relate to is a much different question than like than just one you enjoy. Yeah, exactly. interesting. Yeah. I read this book, uh, God, I've I've never actually said her name out loud, so I'm really sorry if I'm going to butcher it, but Waiki Wang mm-hmm. wrote this book called Chemistry a couple years back, um, and it's about it's about an Asian American woman as the protagonist, and she's like navigating, it's like very classic, like she's navigating and engagement and her work and her relationships with her, with her parents. And I found it just so moving and so real, um, and like a really thoughtful portrait of this like young woman and the author, she like has a new book out called Joan is okay, which I'm really excited to read. It's like, I'm in the waiting list right now for a copy from my local library but I really recommend it. I've been trying to read more literature by Asian American authors um, myself, and um, that was like one of the best ones I've I've read recently. That's awesome. I I
1: love well one I love Asian American authors, but I love my local library, and I love how. I can get eBooks directly to my, well, I don't have a Kindle anymore, but I use the Libby app for it. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like more people should know about this. Like I don't think, I think people think of the library as a place you go to that just has physical books. And you guys, so anyone listening, believe me and Sharon, because we have a great name. But secondly, you can download eBooks. You can rent videos online. You can borrow magazines. Like it can all just happen on your phone and it's all free and it's it's flipping amazing it's just so cool so yes cannot endorse Libby highly enough yes love the Libby app and then she um she'll notify me when my books are ready she'll notify me when I need to like renew a loan it's it's great i love it okay so next question is about food and i i also saw that you are a big foodie you love food you've got your favorite restaurants yes. in dc what is your favorite mom dish
0: Ooh, um, I think like you can't go wrong with her dumplings. That's it's sweet. what our family sort of eats every time I'm home. But I think um, the thing that's like most personal to me, it's called seoul um, and She makes it every year on our birthdays. Um, and it's like really simple. It's like potatoes, carrots, celery, woodier mushrooms, and chicken usually in like a really light, clear broth. Um, and it's you know long noodles to symbolize longevity. Um, for mm-hmm. every year we get one year older. Um, and it's one of my favorite things. Um, she makes
1: it sounds yummy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's your least favorite food? What's something that you just will not eat?
0: Oh, um, funnily enough, celery. Um, even though it is celery in and and like that's like. <laughs> I cannot, that is like the only preparation I will eat it in, but I, I, can, yeah. I can't, I literally, some people are like, why? Like, it just tastes like water. I'm like, y'all are not drinking the right water. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if it's in like,
1: if it's in like chicken soup or something, will you pick it out? Like, will you literally like set it aside and not?
0: No, I mean, I I think, you know, immigrant family, like that I just like didn't grow up like Right, right. Wasting food. Um, So I'll eat it, but I'll be unhappy about it.
1: That's funny. I, I feel like you're like maybe the second or third guest that has mentioned celery. <laughs> and it's the same thing. They're just like, it's like a waste. Like it doesn't taste like anything. It's especially when it's raw, like all the... Yeah. all The um the fibers and like... Yeah, yeah it's so fibrous. It's just kind of like not, it's not worth it. It's funny. Um, who's
0: someone out there that you'd want
1: to talk to on a podcast?
0: Oh, on a podcast? I think that I would talk to... Juliet Lippman and Amanda Dobbins, who are the co-hosts of this really fun pop culture podcast that I listen to on Spotify. What's it called? It's called Jam Session. Jam Session. Got it. They got are it. Uh, my favorite podcast
1: to like, decompress to, and I think they're so fun. Amazing. Hopefully Modern Minorities will be your second favorite. Yeah, podcast. absolutely. <laughs> and then last question. What does being a modern minority mean for you?
0: I think it's having, um, the love for yourself and your family and your heritage to be able to embrace it fully and enjoy doing that. I'm uh, really proud to be one.
1: That's great. Well, I think you're making a huge change, Sharon, and it's just been such a joy talking to you and getting to know you over the last half hour or so. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you so much for Helping our country to get back to where we need to be.
0: Um, I really appreciate your kind words. It was lovely to meet you. Um, trying to do, you know, a little thing to make a difference. And, you know, it's something I really believe that everyone is capable of like doing that. So honored to be a part of the fight and um wonderful to take some time to chat today.
2: And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
1: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
2: Want to learn more? or got something to share. Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom at modmypod.com.
1: You can also follow us on Instagram
2: and Twitter at modminpod. We'd
1: love to hear from you.
2: That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon. Into. Whoa!
2: Hot luck!